The next day, my companion, Charlie Stewart, and I drove our wagon to Russell, Kansas. Our idea was to purchase two wagon loads of lumber to build a saloon. We purchased our lumber at Russell. Finding our first location 100 miles away in Hayes was sold out. With two wagon loads of lumber, we came back to the town site and within a week erected a 14-foot structure. To all that know this story, I became the second owner of a saloon in these parts, selling whiskey for 25 cents a shot right next to Mr. Hoover's sod plank tent. Buffalo City, within a month's time, was a quaint little village. This was a speculator's sight to see, for Buffalo City was now made up of crude framed buildings, half wood and half dugout. The streets were populated with freighters, hunters, and soldiers. It did not take long for entertainment to reach the small makeshift town. The gamblers and women started to arrive in big-bowed, mule-driven wagons. These wagons would do for business until they could find an establishment. I remember one such enterprise from Hayes City, with two ten-mule wagons abundantly equipped with refreshments. A feeling of excitement began to grow with the anticipation of the arrival of two wagon loads of entertainment. The exciting rumors carried with them the dreams of dance hall girls to be rallied in the streets. Men traveled west on mounted horses to meet and escort the traveling caravan into town. As the white-sheeted wagons pulled forward into town, guns from onlookers blazed into the air. I could not help but notice how the sheets of each wagon had been rolled up, displaying the wares within. One of the wagons carried in it two gamblers dressed in frock coats, six well-dressed girls, and some roustabouts to do their work. A large gathering of fans moved in on the second wagon holding whiskey barrels and cases of bottles. I stood on the doorstep of my saloon, watching the wagons come up the dusty street, pulling to a halt in front of me. What I witnessed next was a fine display of calves as the girls clambered down over the greased wheels holding up their billowy skirts. The sight of it caused an entire company of dirty, bearded, gun-packing men to push their way forward into a heat-driven crowd. It was at this time when the second round of gunfire with more serious intentions erupted as the hired protectors yelled out firing warning shots over the crowd. The gunfire and the verbal warnings broke the tension, causing a sudden silence. To my surprise, the crowd began singing and dancing in and around the wagons. I went back into my wood-raftered 14-foot square building of a saloon and prepared for what was coming next. It was not long before the next round of disruption hit the streets of the small makeshift town. Two ruffians had pulled one gambler who had arrived that day out of his bed. A gambler by the name of Charlie Morehouse was forced into my saloon for a late-night drink. One of the ruffians I knew to be a man named Langford was complaining to Charlie about being with his best girl. Charlie stated she was a dancehall girl who meant very little to him. Langford insisted Charlie have a drink on him. He wanted to make amends for his rudeness. He told Charlie he was sorry for the disturbance and should never have pulled him out of bed. Langford continued to press his will on Charlie, stating... Charlie, you should thank me for saving you from that meaningless dancehall girl. Langston began to laugh as the other two men joined in, overseeing Charlie with vigilance to the bar. Morehouse, quieted by the looseness of the three ruffians, agreed to drink with him. After serving the four of them over a period of time, I noticed that Morehouse had consumed less of my barrel of whiskey than his captive companions. With two of the ruffians held their glasses high, the third being outside, Morehouse slipped out the door. 
This was in the middle of a salute to him. A great deal of laughter followed Morehouse's escape. Lankford and his three companions decided to take the same path out the door. I heard their laughter for a few minutes lessen in a distance. Then, with great surprise, Charlie barreled through the back door of my saloon. He was now in the company of four of his friends. Charlie was visibly upset and wanted to know where Langford and his gang had gone. I answered, saying, They left about two minutes ago, headed west between the freighter wagons. I nodded my head in a forward direction and stated with certainty, They're headed toward the place where you were once bedded down. I pointed in the direction where I had seen the Langford gang last. Morehouse stepped out the door and looked in the direction pointed out to him. He then pulled his pistol and screamed at Langford, "'You better leave my girl alone!' His voice was like a clap of thunder, startling the town into a state of uneasiness. Morehouse and his men then opened fire on the Langford gang. The Langford gang returned fire. I, on the other hand, left my feet and dove behind the bar. I could hear from behind the bar bullets flying thick into the walls and through the windows. Each iron ball swung around me, peeled through the wood like a muffled bell. I felt the splinters of wood and heard lead balls dance through the saloon around me. Rolling over to my side, I saw one of the bullets from the street hit a customer. He was running out the back door through the thickest smoke when his heel exploded in a gush of blood. After all the six guns had blazed their last bullets, I peeked out from underneath my bar. I saw Morehouse. He was groaning and holding his arm. I could see he had been shot through the fleshy part of his arm. I then ran cautiously to the door, landing on my knees. I stayed low with my head close to the doorframe. I peeked around out the doorframe through the lingering and smoke into the dim-lit street. Langford's men were running away into the darkness. I then saw Langford. He was down on all fours, crawling in the direction of the river. I got up and went to the back of the saloon to assist my customer with his wounded heel. He was nowhere to be found. I looked for him out my back door, and to my surprise, I found a young man asleep on a cot. He got up from his state of slumber. He reached inside the door with some confusion for his coat hanging on a rack. The only words he said after finding the five bullet holes in his new jacket was, Oh my. He then walked off into the darkness of a starry, smoke-filled night. Come to find out the next morning, Langford had crawled off into some bushes and spent the night by the river. Langford had received the bad end of the fight. He was put to bed with five slugs in him. The amount of liquor he consumed in my store must have saved him from great pain. Langford's friends found him in a bad state, but still alive. He was taken to Fort Dodge. There at the Fort Hospital, he stayed for a long time until he entirely recovered. 